morning. Today's reading is from, we have a melange actually, which Habakkuk 2, 14, Isaiah 11, verse 9, and Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dive into the sermon, um, Angela Williams came and asked me uh, if uh, will give me an update on on how her dad is doing, and it's not well. And uh, she took the last week off of work to to go. I think did both of you go out there? You were working, but back and forth a bit, and and uh, so it, and things have kind of taken another step, and in, in, and uh, and so we want to pray for Rob and for Lorna. And and um, and for Angela as well. And if you want some, you know, you want to to uh, uh, get some more information, you can speak with with Angela also, and she can direct you how to pray. So let's pray together as a congregation. Father, we are mindful of the the great need around us and those facing times of illness, even chronic illness, and even terminal. What we're told is terminal illness. We pray for healing for Rob. We continue to pray that way, Lord, and we believe, we trust that you can and you do the miraculous. We also know the truth that uh, we are not spared in this life as Christians from all of the same things that impact people. From struggle, illness, even uh, death before we feel it it could or should happen. We pray for Rob and for Lorna at this time. Heavenly Father, would you be strongly present for them. Peace that passes understanding. Your blessing. And may they know that the darkness is not dark to you. Sustain them at this time, and we pray for Angela in our presence. We thank you for her, her joyful spirit. But at the same time, we know that uh, uh, along with that, there can be um, much pain. And so we pray that you would sustain her at this time. Come Holy Spirit, we ask. Teach us to pray. Be close with this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon series up to Advent, which is coming quickly, we put in in your bulletins a 
a list of events for Advent. I think one of them, the date is wrong. Um, I think it says November 26th for SWAT. I think it's actually November 27th. Am I getting a head nod there? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, no, yeah so that's the November 27th. But we've purposely tried not to decorate this too much because Christmas decorations, even just to see the red and the green side by side for me, is kind of troubling. But anyway, um, it's coming. So thanks be to God. Uh, as we move towards Advent... I'll put this down so I stop playing with it. As we move towards Advent, we've taken up this series in the fall called From Genesis to Nazareth, looking at some major uh, Christian doctrines and, and uh, Christian uh, principles in terms of theology, things like creation. Uh, and uh, we move today to consider the topic of redemption. We've looked at sovereignty. We've looked at holiness. We spent a couple weeks talking about sin and wrongdoing and Christian concepts of these things, as opposed to uh, some of the ways that we can think s- apart from Christ, and ways that we can think that actually treat Christ as, as more of a minor figure, as if Jesus came just to help us, rather than being the fullness of salvation himself. And today, as we begin to prepare for Advent, it's an interesting thing, Advent is all about preparing, preparing for Christmas. But we prepare for Advent, we consider this important theological concept of redemption. If you take the Old Testament, and those readings that Jill read for us all come from a particular part of the Old Testament, from the books of the prophets. But you you know that most of your Bible is Old Testament, right? So if I do a physical kind of mark here for you, uh, you can do this if you have your Bibles with you. You've got that's Old Testament and that's New Testament. And yet many Christians have great difficulty understanding or reading uh, the Old Testament. It can be... uh, uh, and some of the stories you get are, for those who were here a couple weeks ago, you get a stories like Judges chapter 19. I had four or five people come up to me after we looked at Judges chapter 19 and say, I never knew that story was in the Bible. Um, and if you want to look up Judges 19, you'll want to turn away from it pretty quickly as well because there's some challenging things in the Old Testament. This is the history of God and humanity and the relationship of God with a particular people, the Israelites. God's chosen and promised people. He's working redemption. It's not an easy read, but you might know some of the contours that are there. If you if you have Genesis, you have if you go to Genesis, you have the story of creation, the early story of of the patriarchs, right? These key figures in biblical history, and then you get the people going down to Egypt, and you get hundreds of years in Egypt. And this is now between Genesis and Exodus. The people as slaves in Egypt. And then they'll be delivered out of Egypt. You get Moses. You get the giving of the law in Sinai. There was a plane that was down this past week in, in Egypt, in Sinai. And that would be where this, in our, in our Jewish and Christian history, where the law was given at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments. Teaching the people how to live and what it means to be a people and what it means to worship. You get them moving to the promised land and the warning, uh, the warning from Moses and others. When you get to a comfortable life, now you can translate this for your life. When you get to, to a comfortable life, be careful not to forget God. Which was a warning, but but you realize it's more of a prophetic word because what do the people do when they get to a comfortable life? They do the same thing you did, many of you. They forget God and they start to think that, that they, they were the ones responsible for their comfort. And as they forget God, who in this story of redemption is the source of all life and salvation, 
they become cut off from the source of life and salvation. They're judged. And, and that takes up a big part of the Old Testament, which is from, and the readings are from that part of history, from the prophetic works. So basically what the prophets will say is, you've, in your comfortable life, you have turned away from God, you've forgotten God. The natural consequence of that is that your life will, will basically fall apart. And for them, they were taken over by other nations. And they found themselves in another big word that you need to know, our important word. They found themselves in exile, cut off. So that's a a little bit of the contours of the Old Testament. And the readings from this morning, the three excerpts, all come from the time of the prophets. They're pretty positive readings, right? Uh, The the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Uh, I'll give you a new heart. There won't be any war. There won't be any hurt or harm on my holy mountain. They offer a glimpse of redemption and peace, wholeness, rest, security, and forgiveness. Now, if I use those words in relation to the people back then, redemption, peace, wholeness, rest, and security, and forgiveness, then you can kind of think, well, what's the historical point of this story? But if I use those words in relation to your life, now they mean something, right? Redemption, peace, wholeness, rest, security, forgiveness. The people had found themselves cut off, but God, even as, and and these strains of promise, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, you'll be given a new heart. These strains of promise are often given as the people are moving into exile. So the strains of redemption come before the people know the working out of that redemption. In other words, they would look at their lives and they would have a strong sense, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to be. And as they were heading into more turmoil and even more difficulty, God was speaking redemption to them. And it was the prophets who drew some of these things out. You will be brought back. You can remember remember back to Moses, Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, a long time before the prophets. This is a time when God's people were in slavery for hundreds of years, centuries. And you remember Moses speaking to the burning bush. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And God said to Moses through this burning bush, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to bring them out from their slavery. And Moses had a lot of kind of... uh, issues with what God was saying. He didn't really believe that it could work. And one of his main points of of concern was, what was what? Will the people believe me when I go back to tell them that God's going to deliver them from, from their slavery? They won't believe it. How could they hear? The message that Moses was to deliver is that God has seen your misery. He has heard your cries. He has come down and he will deliver you. So now again, take their lives that they had now just accepted. This is the way that the world works. We will be forever slaves. This is the culture in which we live. We can't really hope for much more. And Moses was going to come back from his own kind of exile and say to the people, God has heard your cries. Now you have to experience this as, you should experience this, or I would like you to experience this as as a part of your faith. That God has heard your cries. I don't mean to say that your situation is as dire or difficult as as the slaves back then, but that God has heard the cries of the hearts of these people. He has heard, he has seen, he will come down, he will deliver. Now, why wouldn't the people believe? This should have been the best news that they could have imagined. And why wouldn't they believe it? Well, because of that. The news is too good. 
They had a definition for how their lives worked, and this deliverance of God came as something from outside that couldn't possibly happen. They couldn't imagine an alternative. It's primarily our struggle as we think about spiritual redemption is that we cannot imagine, and this is a faith struggle for many of you, I carry it at times as well, you cannot imagine the best news ever being real and possible. And so you settle for another kind of life, relative security, some kind of success. You judge yourself compared to other people. I guess I'm doing okay because I'm doing better than them, but the metrics are things given to us mostly by the world. And the news that you could experience redemption Security, rest, and salvation seems too good. You can't imagine an alternative. And that was Moses' first task as he went back. There was a dominant culture in Egypt, and it was the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh. And the first news of the the first task of the prophets, and this is a prophetic task for Moses, is to go back and say to the people, Do you understand that there's something better than this? God will deliver you. Moses had the task of imagining and picturing an alternative that was not Egypt. It was not Egypt who determined how things were and are. It was God. And God was intervening as deliverer. It's the same task for us today. It's not the Western kind of, um, uh, whether it's a social system or an economic system or whatever it might be, all the things that we take as a given. Just we take as a given. It's not those things that define the world. This is a key article in Christian faith. It's God who defines reality. But you struggle with that. And many of us can. A theological concept. Thinking about this truth in your life, that you have a consideration of what defines your life. Getting by, finding a job, maybe a vacation or two. There's an empire, there's an empire that's giving you a definition of what life is, and you don't even think about that because it's just default. We live in it, as these slaves lived in Egypt. It's not all bad for us, but we can feel at times as if there's something missing, or as if we're not succeeding like other people. Or if we do feel that we have attained something that we are after, we can then live in fear that we're going to lose it, and many of you are feeling that. But what about next year and next year and 10 years from now? In any empire, any empire will say that this is all there is to life. And any question of sovereignty apart from God in that, the sovereignty belongs to, in in our thinking, the state, the government, the culture, whatever it is. Definitions of success, lifestyle. We have in this life a need for redemption. Something greater. Something more. I know that you feel this at times. And these people who who now found themselves in exile, as we move from Moses many, many years later, they began to know their need for redemption when the comforts disappeared. That we could consider and see an alternative. And that the alternative is positive. That there is a God who has chosen to love us. There is a God who has chosen to not be God without us. Did you know that for your life? There's an old Christian uh, 
teaching document, a catechism, Heidelberg Catechism. And, and it has, uh, like many of the, well, that's what catechism means, question and answers. Question and then an answer that defines uh, what, how we're to understand faith. And, and, and a key question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what's my one or my true comfort in life? So they, they would teach this to, to children, students. What's my one comfort in life? And the answer is what? Some of you might know it. That I belong to God. God has chosen not to be God without us. And the scripture readings bring us to this other time. Hundreds of years after Egypt, the people had experienced a time of comfort. And now they were exiled and things were falling apart. The people are defeated and devastated. And the things that they maybe feared had happened. Death and darkness seemed to reign. Entire books of scripture are written to just, to just help people lament. The book of Lamentations is written so that the people at this time could learn how to lament at times of such devastation and loss. And by the way, and I always do this, and sorry to repeat it, but it doesn't matter, it's really good. The, the, heart, the center of the book of Lamentations is that God's faithfulness is new every morning. It's all, it's the swirling lament and loss all around it, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's in the book of Lamentations. But there are strains like that through this time of exile. You might remember that Boney M helps you sometimes, right? By the rivers of Babylon where we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered the land that we're now cut off from. It was as they were moving to the rivers of Babylon to a place not their own, losing control of their own lives that some of these strains of redemption came through. Jeremiah is another prophet. Jeremiah 29.11 I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I always say, we write that in every kid's graduation card. The trouble is it was written to people who were about to experience decades of pain and exile. It's not, you know, next year is going to be a really great year. I hope you get that job. It's that as you go into this time of difficulty, you know that I will redeem you, says the Lord. You have hope and you have a future. You're entering a time of exile, but this does not define the whole of reality. And then you hear these beautiful strains mixed in. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11.9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. You can just picture those words and listen to those words over the conflicts in the world today. Isaiah will go on to say, like the, the, the little child will play at the cobra's den. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. Speaking of a peace beyond our comprehension. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, to a people devastated and perhaps now coming to an awareness of their own sin and their own fault. You know that feeling. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. It's easy. It's not a terrible feeling when somebody else is wrong. So you can kind of go like, that person wronged me. And you can pat yourself on the back a little bit and think, you know, my struggles are somebody else's fault. But that terrible feeling that can come when you begin to realize that many of your struggles are of your own making. And now you can feel, if there's no words of redemption, you can feel terror. You can feel despair. And what does God say to a people beginning to feel that? 
He says in the words of Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water over you. I'll give you a new heart. I almost weep when I, well, I do at times weep when I hear those words. I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. What kind of God not only delivers us, not only fills the earth with his knowledge, the knowledge of his glory, but redeems us even from our own sin. And I'll put my spirit within you. This is redemption. And it's impossible not to get ahead of ourselves and go to the Christian awareness that redemption finds its fullness in Jesus Christ. But we take these promises now. Firstly, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our relationship to knowledge in 2015 is, to me, at times despairing. Um, I've talked to people who are in, in, in the field of education and they can sometimes share this with me. We might feel it differently. Uh, but we have more knowledge than we've ever had. There's no doubt about that. But we seem to be losing at times the value of learning, knowing, comprehending. We can look things up. Knowledge seems to be now a commodity as much as anything else. And power can come with that. For us, knowledge can be defined by the technological. And we like knowledge that can show us how, in this empire in which we're living, how to live better and more comfortable, things of convenience, things of choice. We're just uh, we're bombarded by choice. It's paralyzing at times. This, there's a similarity to this to the people before exile living in that time of comfort where they were forgetting God. Any knowledge that they would have at that time, and for them, it was false gods and other gods, the gods of, uh, you know, the, the corn god and, and the, the, the rain god. And so what they would do is they would think, well, this is the way that the world works, and so we're going to make sacrifices to this god so that our fields can, you know, can grow well. It's not that different from how you do things. I mean, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, and that's all well and good, but we really know how the world works, right? It's just what they were doing. And so that was just the technology of their time. This is the way the world really works, and they forgot God in their pursuit of comfort, security as they understood it. They had no need of God. The the focus can then become self. And the promise here to these people who had experienced life like this was an incredible promise. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is knowledge that is transformative for people's lives. The promise here is a knowledge that will change hearts, a knowledge that will bring character, a knowledge that will bring peace. You will go through life knowing, are you ready for it? The glory of the Lord. See how it's bigger than you? And so I have a question for you. It's on the screen. My first question to you, and we have to struggle with this. I don't want you to just say, yeah, I want God. Thank you. My first question, and I ask it to myself as well, what kind of knowledge do you desire? What kind of knowledge are you after in life? I'm not saying that we, you know, that we don't live actually in this world, but what kind of knowledge do you truly desire in life? 
that which will bring you security and comfort as the world defines it, or the knowledge of the glory of the Lord on a daily basis? And where do you think you'll find true life? God's promise. The second promise is true peace. No hurt or harm will come on my holy mountain. Can you imagine promising this to a people who had experienced defeat, devastation, war, and death? And they were still living in the shadow of that. No hurt or harm will come on my holy mountain. There will be true peace. It's beautiful imagery. But I say again, let's be honest, it's not the way the world really works. Not in our day and age and not then. It's hard for us to imagine an alternative to our current situation. Our lives defined by empire and like military industrial complex and one nation against the other. And what would it look like to truly lay down our arms? We live in this world of competition. You'll you'll see this as you go to Remembrance Day um, services this week because hopefully you'll experience both both things. A gratitude for the sacrifice of people who've gone before you, but also um, a lament at the way that the world is. Our lives defined by competition and at times ultimately by despair. True peace. This peace is universal. A child will even play at the den of a cobra. Things will be entirely different, God is promising. And the peace is not only universal, it's also internal. Because I know that the war that you're really concerned about, I know this, and I don't judge you for this, by the way, because I can have the same thing too. The war that you're really concerned about isn't necessarily the one over in the Middle East or Ukraine or wherever the wars are in whatever day we live in. The war that you're really concerned about is the warfare within your own heart. Your own lack of peace, your own battle with yourself. True peace. God says, I'll bring true peace. And my question to you then is this. Do you want true peace? Or do you want to simply win? Have more than the other person? They're different things. Finally, God's promise of redemption. These strains that will be heard by the people, hopefully heard by the people even in their darkness. This one is almost too much to take because it speaks to those moments where we realize our own failings, our own sin, the darkness of our own hearts, and these things can can be just devastating to us. They can bring us to complete despair. And that's where these people were, from exile and this place of despair, broke out this evocative, beautiful literature that we still quote today. The echoes now are not just beautiful, but they're filled with redemption. And here's the promise. I will give you a new heart. You will be clean. At times we can't seem to live with ourselves. We struggle with self, with peace in our own hearts. And God's redemption is not only over the whole earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea is not only bringing peace between uh, nations. No hurt or harm will come on my holy mountain, but is bringing peace into my own heart. That's the promise of redemption. My question to you here would be, do you see the beauty in this promise? Is this a beautiful promise to you? Can you, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, fall on your knees and say, 
I long, I long for that peace. How good can this be that I would be given a new heart? And of course, in Christian understanding, the fullness of this redemption is found in Jesus Christ. So that when I, as a Christian, come here during the season of Advent and I see the nativity scene and I see, I am thinking, feeling all of this. I don't, I don't see the world, don't worry, in, in my own three-point sermons. But I do look and I think, my fullness, my, the, the fullness of my salvation, the peace for me comes because of my Lord Jesus Christ. The time of exile, this is our fourth scripture that we haven't read yet, but I'll close with this. Jeremiah um, was one who was tasked by God to give warning to the people of the coming judgment, but then also speak of God's ultimate redemption. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, and you should at least write those down or look those up if you have your Bible with you or read them um, uh, later today. The way that Jeremiah puts it to a people who have experienced judgment and are now going into exile is he he reminds them, you trusted in the wrong things. But God's redemption will bring you back to trusting in God. The interesting thing about this for me too, and we struggle with this, is that this is entirely, completely, and fully a work of God. It's not my doing. I didn't decide to become religious and now I can become redeemed, right? God's redemption comes from God's activity. It's all gift. It's not earned. I will give you a new heart. See how good God is? And Jeremiah is reminding the people, you've trusted in the wrong things. And for those who think scripture isn't contemporary, or, you know, it's archaic, or it's naive, or it's old, or whatever, listen to the things that Jeremiah says the people were trusting in, boasting in, but they led nowhere. Jeremiah chapter 23, or chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. The people who had been hundreds of years ago slaves found themselves in comfort. They actually became the oppressors of people around them. And God said, you're going to face now judgment. You've trusted in the wrong things. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty one boast in their strength. Let not those who are rich boast in their riches. Now, if I was to take 2015 and say the three things that people boast in or trust in most, that would be them. You're wise. This person is so smart. They've got this great career or they've achieved these things. In fact, we've given them all kinds of awards and accolades. They might have changed the world for good. Wisdom's not bad, is it? Don't boast in your wisdom. Let not the mighty one boast in their strength that they're able to defeat others, that they're stronger. And let not the one who is rich boast in their riches. It continues. These are the things that have left you in need of redemption, and ultimately they don't work, but it doesn't end there. Let him who boasts, if you're looking up the scripture, you'll see this. Let him who boasts, boasts in this, that they know me source of true life. That they know me. And now in a direct counter to wisdom, might, and riches, wealth, a counter to wisdom, might, and wealth come three things. Isn't this incredible? Let them boast in me. My, this is God speaking, my what? 
my steadfast love, my justice, and my righteousness. Take the best the world has to offer. And this is our struggle in in this age we live in. That even when we can take the best that the world has to offer, it can lead us to a feeling of despair. The promise of redemption that God offers is fullness of salvation in Christ, known and realized in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must grow up in our Christian thinking from thinking that the Christian faith simply means I've done bad things and Jesus forgives me and now I can try to do good things instead. It gives us an entirely different way of seeing the world. Redemption. The whole earth and even from your sin. May we have eyes to see. Let me pray, and uh, then we have a a word of sharing this morning as well. Heavenly Father, we could say this over and over and over again, because the minute that we move back to our lives in this world, we get caught in the definitions of this world. Definitions of success, definitions of meaning, definitions of what it means to have a good life, or even to be a good person or or a successful person. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show us what redemption means. And I say this morning on behalf of all who are gathered here, well, or most maybe, we long for this redemption in you. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.